Um, well, I'm excited to be back online with the Open Table folks. I know some of you are new. Some of you may be jumping on for the first time on Facebook Live. Welcome. Um, I am always excited to be a part of what the Open Table is up to, and I was honored when uh, the staff asked me to speak this evening with Jeremy. So Jeremy and I are really excited to share some stuff with you. And I didn't get to share my piece about working with Wendy, so I wanted to do that now. I wanted to give everyone else space to share. Um, but Wendy, I've had the honor of uh, working alongside you. Literally, we shared a desk next to one another in our very small office in the church. And um, I've learned so much from you. And you are an incredibly loyal individual. You're full of wisdom, full of knowledge, and you're very intentional. I mean, that was the theme of what everyone was saying this evening about how they experience you and um, a very safe individual. And I'm so sad to see you go. I'm also very excited to see what's in store for you in the future. And um, you have made such an impact on my life as a friend, as a mentor, as a coach. Um, yeah, and you've turned me into an anime lover. So there we go. <laughs> so that's a plus too. <laughs> so, uh, so Wendy, I love you and I'm going to miss you very much. Um, blessings on your journey. Yeah. So just some ground rules and kind of a collective agreement before we get started. First off, I am seeing that not a ton of you have your videos on and I would love to challenge everyone to turn that video on if you feel comfortable. Um, I would love to see your faces. We are gonna be engaging in conversation tonight and it's just better when we get to see one another. Obviously we can't meet in person, that's ideal, but um, online we can also really create an intimate space together. So I'd love to see your faces. Um, just another quick thing, we will utilize the chat to share relevant, or please utilize the chat to share relevant information, thoughts or requests at any point throughout our conversation. Um, when sharing in our small or large groups, I would, I ask that you be mindful of how much space you take up. After all, this is a um, evening of talking about how to share power. So just be mindful of how you show up in a space. And I also am going to challenge you all to get uncomfortable. So if you're on Facebook Live, um, you're not going to be in on the small group chats, but if you are on Zoom, you will be in small group chats. And I think we, we only grow when we're able to look deeply within. And so I really ask that this evening you kind of like let go of judgments, let go of fear, whatever you may be coming to the table with, really let that go and let yourself soak in the next hour with those around you on this online call and whoever you're partnered up with later in our conversation. Um, we strongly encourage you to stay online when we break off into small groups, but if for some reason you need to opt out, I just ask that you log off before we assign breakout rooms so that people aren't left without a partner this evening. Does that make sense? Thumbs up. Feel free to use the little emoji. I know there's one on Zoom. Facebook folks, feel free to use the chat. Someone is constantly checking that and we'll be filtering that into the conversation. So, all right, let's get started. So. The intention of this evening is to define societal forms of power, identify your own, and consciously work towards a liberative power. So we need to start by defining what that is, right? So I thought that the first activity that would help us kind of like launch into this conversation is for folks in the chat to type in what words come to mind when you hear the word power. So I want you to engage like all five senses to Type out descriptive words that come to mind when I say the word power. So let's give ourselves a few minutes to do that. Um, I will start reading them here in the chat in a second. 
Okay, so we have anxiety. Yeah, it's a good one. Strength, decision-making, manager, strong. Fear. Force. Leverage. Overwhelm, change-making, will. Agency. Billy, I like that. You're onto something with the term agency. Yeah, let's keep it coming. Let's have a few more. We have unchallenged, privileged, systems, contested, male. Right from Facebook Live, we have one that says control, money, whiteness, arbitrary sometimes. Yeah, these are great. Feel free to start uh, or to keep, keep putting them in the chat. But um, what I'm noticing from a lot of these descriptions, actually, there's some words in there that I don't see that I'm surprised by. But um, in essence, like this activity I thought would be good because a lot of the things that we perceive, a lot of the, the connotations that words carry actually like really affect how we engage with that specific thing, right? So like if we have a specific idea of what power is, that creates a story in our head and we live that story out as if that thing is the reality, if it's, it's the absolute truth, right? Uh, okay, someone from Facebook Live said Beyonce. I love that, yep. <laughs> um, so some of these words honestly tie in with some of the characteristics of white supremacy culture that I know you all have been studying throughout this series. And three of them come to mind specifically. So power hoarding, paternalism, and the I'm the only one mentality. So let's break those down just a little bit, okay? And Nick just shared that document that you've been working through in the series in the chat. Feel free to save that as a resource for the future. So power hoarding is essentially, it comes from the scarcity mindset. So it means that there is limited power to go around, right? So if there's limited power to go around, then someone has to have power over someone or something else because there's a limited quantity, right? So oftentimes when someone is in a power hoarding mentality or they're inserting their power in this specific way, it's really hard for them to take feedback. So feedback about any changes, to the way that they lead or changes to the organization that they're running is a threat to their identity. So this is important to note as well. So this specific type of uh, uh, assertion of power makes assumptions based on privilege about those without power. So those who are expressing characteristics of power hoarding in situations um, tend to see those without power as like unexperienced or ill-informed or stupid or there's not uh, an actual like analysis that they have on why systems are the way they are and why people are left without power in certain situations, if that makes sense. So I wrote here like a good leader actually develops the power and skills of other people. They don't hoard it. So something to note. Next, we move on to paternalism. So paternalism is decision-making that is clear to those with power and unclear to those without it. So those without power are most impacted because decisions are made for them in their best interests, yet there's a lack of understanding and clarity. And this type of power breeds inequitable systems and creates a win-lose scenario. 
So one example that I thought of is like our education system, right? Like how is money allocated to what schools are they allocated to? What programs exist at certain schools and why? And decisions are made from the top down as if everyone, as if folks who are in power know exactly what the folks receiving some sort of service, or in this case, education, right? Like they know what they need. But this comes from a place of not even understanding the fact that like not everyone starts at the same playing field, at the same level. There are inequitable systems that deeply affect what people have access to, how they receive their education, how that education affects their future, et cetera. So that's paternalism. Um, okay, I'm the only one mentality. So this is connected to individualism, and we see this a lot in our society. This is kind of like the uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Like it, in my opinion, I think is also deeply tied to scarcity, which um, I mean, all of these are tied to scarcity, but um, individualism really keeps us divided, right? And Jeremy will talk later on this evening about uh, abundance and scarcity. But this is expressed typically by someone in power who needs to get it done right, and they cannot give up control, power, and they cannot delegate to others. So I know that you have been working through this document, but these were the three um, characteristics of white supremacy that I wanted to note this evening as we dive into our conversation, okay? So let's be clear though, that these characteristics of white supremacy culture hurts both white and people of color. It seeks to divide, individualize, and make damaging practices the norm, whether that be in the workplace, in culture, in an organization, etc. However, what we know and have seen throughout history is corrupt power that's wielded through white supremacy and patriarchal systems, which has historically oppressed women, black people, indigenous folks, and many other people of color in our society, in our country especially. So it's important that we start to define, right? If we, if everyone that wrote down their preconceived ideas or their words that are attached to power, it's important that we start to peel back those layers and define like, what is it actually? And where did we get it wrong? Or where are we getting it wrong, right? Um, and I also want to just express that like, I personally am a practitioner always, I'm not an expert, so, um, you don't have to agree. If you have opposing thoughts, please feel free to share in the chat. I love a good conversation. Um, but uh, I do invite you to consider some of these things that we are chatting about tonight. So we're so used to equating power to the descriptors that we mentioned in this chat, right? But what is power in its essence? I really loved the definition that I found from Talcott Parsons, who's an American sociologist. And the definition that he provides says, Power is the potential of a social system. Let me start over. Power is the potential a social system has to coordinate human activity and resources to accomplish goals. Okay? So if that's the case, is power actually neutral? And is it ultimately sourced from within us? Right? Like things don't get accomplished on their own. Something has to set something in motion for it to actually get done. So what makes up a social system? People. People make up a social system, right? So people have to exercise some form of power in order to get somewhere in society. 
So what does that tell us? That the characteristics of white supremacy culture we reviewed are types of power that perpetuate and manipulate a social system, but it's not actually what defines all of what power encompasses. Does that make sense? You can give me a thumbs up. <laughs> cool, okay. But let's talk about like what it actually takes to channel power from within us that contributes to an actual flourishing so social system. So these characteristics that we just talked about, right, and the way that we see power played out in society does not actually contribute to a flourishing social system. Take a look at where our democracy is now. Take a look at the inequitable systems that exist in our society, right? The broken systems, the systems that were created, who were they created for? Like, just think about that for a second. So, let me go down my notes here. So if that's the case, power has the ability to change individual and collective capacity, right? If we start to think about power as the definition that I read above, let me read it one more time. The potential a social system has to coordinate human activity and resources to accomplish goals, what matters is how we start to, to insert that power. How do we start to actually use that power to create a flourishing social system? And that is what we're going to be getting into today about abundance and scarcity and understanding the power that we have within as individuals to transform not just our world, but start to transform the world around us. So let's talk about power from the inside out. So first, honestly, like in order to start breaking a lot of this down, a tool that I have found incredibly effective in my own personal growth, as well as in teaching workshops with uh, clergy and the open table has been the center borderlands activity. I'm not sure if many of you are familiar with that, but in order for us to really start to do this work, we have to get clear on our social location. So you have to start asking yourself, what privileges does your identity afford you in society? And how do you actually contribute to toxic power dynamics, whether it's knowing or unknowing, right? Like we, there are certain privileges that society gives us. There are certain identities that we have in the center, which gives us access to certain systems. So it's important to know this. And the Center Borderlands activity, I'm happy to share this with anyone who would like to dive deeper into this after our call this evening. Um, but this activity has really helped me reflect on my centered identity and naming those in society that remain on the margins. And it's a literal map, like I'm a visual learner. So it's really nice to map it out. And basically the center is where all of your center identity is, right? Like English speaking, citizen, um, middle class, like whatever those are for you, you start to name them. And then you start to name the identities that exist in the margins where folks don't have access to certain systems that you're afforded to because of your identities in the center. And this is a really great visual to start to break down like, okay, how do I insert my power in society? How do I utilize my power? And in what ways is that actually toxic to those on the margins or those that don't have access to the same things? So practicing continual self-awareness, this is just one tool, the Center Borderlands activity. I'm gonna type my email in actually in the chat real quick. Um, if y'all are interested in diving into that, I'm happy to share more information with, about that. 
And can someone copy that and send it on the Facebook Live? Thank you. So we have to continue to practice self-awareness, accountability, and willingness to share power. Like if we don't start with us first, let's be honest, nothing's gonna change, nothing. And so this doesn't mean that when we tap into self-awareness, when we practice accountability in our communities, when we're willing to share power, that doesn't mean that anything from your plate is actually taken away. Actually, when there is mutual reciprocity and sharing, you actually end up with more. So just think about that for a second. Like, how have we been conditioned to act and to do things in society, in our Western capitalist system? It's been from a scarcity mentality. It's been from an individualistic mentality, right? So if that's the case, you're always competing. And it never ends. And so how are you, like, how are you able to develop a healthier uh, school of thought around power if that is what you've been taught your whole life or that's the system that you've been conditioned into thinking like this is my way how I, this is how i make it in society right so i want to be really clear right because as we do this work individually i'm a big believer that like you transform yourself first and everything around you begins to transform right actions speak louder than words your example how you lead how you live how you begin to change yourself and therefore those around you matters deeply. And it matters especially in a time like right now. But at the same time, I want to reiterate that as we are entering into more like communal lifestyle with each other, um, the health of a community, this is like one of my biggest beliefs, the health of a community is measured by the health of the individuals contributing to that community. So think about the health of an organization, right? The health of an organization is also contingent on the health of each individual that's contributing to that organization. Now, in this case, I'm gonna say the health of our nation, our democracy, is also measured by the health of how we as individuals are showing up right now in this time. How are we uh, like scaling back all of the shit we've learned about power, all the things we've learned to believe about power, and how are we adopting a new way of living and being and sharing power with one another, right? So one of my favorite quotes is actually from Lauren Hill. Um, and she talks about how you're gonna win if you ain't right within, right? Like, how are you going to see, envision a new community, envision a new democracy? How are you going to see changes happen if you're not even doing that work within yourself. So I just wanna challenge everyone today, like start asking those questions, right? Because like how we show up today and tomorrow in the next 23 days, honestly, and beyond that is going to matter. So I wanted to break down a couple different, like there's like four different parts to power that I wanted to break down before we do a quick meditation and break off into small groups. So hang tight with me for a second. So you have power to make a difference. You have power to make a difference, transform and shape your world, okay? And that matters because then you have power with others to build bridges, promote equitable solutions, etc. This agency, and I think Billy was the one that wrote agency earlier in the chat. This agency stems from your power within. 
Your power within is your capacity, your self-worth, and your belief that you can actually make a difference, right? So I'm gonna read that one more time, and I'm actually gonna copy it and put it in the chat. Okay, so you have the power to make a difference, to transform and shape your world. And that matters because then you have power with others to build bridges, promote equitable solutions, etc. This agency stems from your power within, which is your capacity, your self-worth, and belief that you can make a difference. So if this is true, therefore, our aim should never be to exert power over people, which is what we see in society a lot, but instead to create the conditions in which power can be shared and maximized in a community. This is the actual work of what it means to liberate one another. So I'm actually gonna put that in the chat as well. Okay, so I would review those real quick. Um, you can copy and paste them into your notes, whatever you'd like to do with them. If someone could share those two quick things on Facebook Live, I'd appreciate it. Um, but if we are about the work of liberating people, as people of faith, spiritual people, as folks who are involved politically in a time like now, uh, anxiously awaiting the next 23 days, it is important that we begin to recognize that our aim is not to be exerting power over people like we keep seeing, right? We need to completely flip that on its head. We need to be subversive and we need to start create the conditions in which power can be shared and maximized in a community because that is where the real good shit, right? The good work is going to be happening. So I'm going to lead us in a meditation and reflection um, and there will be after this meditation reflection, we will break off into groups of three or four. And there's two questions that I want you to reflect on. If you're on Facebook, I want to let you know that um, there will be a group of us on the main screen that will be sharing these questions with one another. So feel free to stay on and engage with us. So in preparation for meditation, I invite everyone to find a comfortable seating position in your chair. If you'd like to lie down, feel free to do so, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Okay. And as you settle in, I want you to place one hand on your heart and the other on your stomach. And if you've never meditated before, if you've never taken time to kind of like reflect in a quiet space, um, just see what you find. Again, don't judge the experience. Just listen to my words. See what comes up for you. Just give yourself this time, this moment. Okay, so place one hand on your heart and the other on your stomach. Bring your shoulders up to meet your ears and then drop them down, releasing any tension you might be carrying in your upper body. Draw your shoulder blades together. And now begin to bring awareness into your breath. So take a deep inhale through your nose for four seconds. Hold your breath for four seconds. And exhale as long as you need before taking in your next breath in. So inhale. Hold your breath for four seconds. Slowly exhale it out.
and do this a few times, focusing on filling the belly with each inhale and releasing slowly with your exhale. And begin to feel your hand on your stomach rise and fall with each breath. I want you to take a moment in this time to reflect on your identity. So who are you when no one else is looking or expecting something from you? I'll ask that again. Who are you when no one else is looking or expecting something from you? From where do you draw your self-worth? What inspires you? What are your personal growing edges? Take a moment to identify those and sink into introspection. Now begin to think about your social location. What privileges have you had throughout your life? What systems have you had access to? What systems have you benefited from or contributed to? How far have you been able to get in society due to your privilege? And I want you to be real honest here. Be honest with yourself, no judgment, just honest observation. Now think about an instance in your life when you exercise power over someone else. What led you to that choice? How did that make you feel? How did it make the other person feel? What did you gain? Or what did that experience teach you? Or maybe ask yourself, how far did you get in accomplishing what you set out to do by inserting power over someone else?
And I want you to think about a time when you exercise power with someone. Who was present? And what did that feel like? What did you share with one another? What did you accomplish or what did you gain from sharing power with someone? Now think about whether you have utilized power over people more than power with people or vice versa. So just take a moment to kind of assess what your ratio is here. And again, be honest. And as you reflect on that, ask yourself, what was I afraid or unwilling to give up in the moments where I exercise my power over someone else? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's the need to control the outcome or pride, insecurity, or abuse of privilege. And as you reflect on that, let's flip the script a little bit and ask yourself, how do you want to choose differently in the future? What is possible for me and others when I choose to operate from my power within? Take your last few moments of reflection here, of observation. And thank yourself for showing up in this meditation, honestly. And slowly focus back on your breath. Let go of any heavy breathing. Bring awareness back into your body. Slowly waking back up and coming back to meet us.
And if you're still awakening, that's okay. But we are going to transition into small groups for a couple of minutes. And the two questions that I ask you to reflect on with those in your group are the following. What is it I'm protecting when I choose to hoard and not share power? And second, what would it look like for me to adopt an abundance mentality as a form of power? Okay, so those two questions should be in the chat. Nick, will you take it away with putting folks in breakout rooms? Again, if you are choosing to opt out of the breakout room, I ask you to log off so no one is without a partner and then log back on in the next five minutes. So we'll see you soon. Okay. Well, if you are in Facebook Live, since folks are in their small groups at the moment, um, I encourage you to also answer those two questions that I posed in the chat. Um, did someone put them in the Facebook Live chat? Thank you. Yeah. So if, if you would like to share on Facebook Live, would love to hear your thoughts. I know it's also kind of a vulnerable question, so I respect it, um, your decision either way. But um, but yeah, like, did anything come up for any of you that are on this main screen? I would be curious to know. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I guess, for the, the first question, what is it I'm protecting when I choose to hoard and not share power? Um, this, this would have less to do with the hoarding piece and more to do, like, like a physical hoarding, but uh, and it have more to do with the sharing of power. Um, I know that sometimes, and part of this is just built into my own Enneagram number as a seven. Um, I know one of the messages that I have is that I can't trust anybody to do things. Um, and so it's easier for me just to take it on and to do it myself. And so that's been a big growing edge for me over the years is to learn that that's in fact not a great way um, to go about doing things, but that that's something that has been uh, present for me because there is the opportunity to experience hurt or experience some of it could be a protective measure to protect from experiencing critique. So there's like a whole number of things that, that can go into that. But I, I think it kind of goes into that individualistic streak too. But um, I think that's something that comes up for me whenever I think about uh, what I might be protecting is just anxiety from having someone maybe not deliver on something that that we had talked about and again just the possibility probably of being critiqued if i'm being honest thanks for sharing nick um there's an instance that i thought of when during the reflection of um when i was actually teaching um, I, I lived in Bolivia for a year and um, there was an instance where um, I was teaching seventh graders English, um, large rowdy classes, seventh graders. Um, and one, one instance where um, we we're not they're not supposed to have hats on in the classroom, something like that. And so I was asking a kid to take the hat off and um, so my, I exerted power over by eventually just sending him to the principal. Um, and then I found out later that the reason he wasn't taking his hat off is because he had 
uh, haircut that showed his scar. Um, and so he was embarrassed and um, just felt so awful um, after I learned that. And um, the, I think that kind of power overcame from like a paternalism. Um, he kind of expressed that um, as like, I know what's best, you know, like, and I, um, these are the rules and it's for your own good kids kind of thing. Um, and a power with would have been like practicing better listening and just like asking him like, and listening closely, like, why are you doing this? Um, instead of just assuming that, you know, he's acting up or something like that. So that was a little bit what I was reflecting on. Thanks for sharing, Jeremy. I saw that someone posted on the Facebook chat, uh, a fear of delegating because maybe the job won't get done. So I think Nick, you kind of talked a little bit about that as well, how like you'd rather just do it on your own, right? And I think so many of these behaviors actually stem like way back from, like if we really want to tap into psyche, right? Way back from like childhood experiences, situations where we trusted an individual and then something fell through, um, like all of those things start to matter and build up like how we then engage with the world and engage with others, right? So a lot of this is like being able to tap into the root of that as well and recognize like, okay, like why do I fear delegating tasks? Like, where does that come from? Where was there an instance where I like recognize like, wow, like I have a hard time with that or, you know, someone lost your trust. Okay, let's see. Is everyone back? I'm assuming most folks are back. So um, for the sake of time, we're going to transition into Jeremy sharing about scarcity and abundance. But if you, I know that these conversations, uh, I completely respect if you want to keep them very sacred in your group. Um, and I respect the privacy that, uh, of what you shared. If you would like to share in the chat some of the reflections that came to mind during the meditation, we welcome that as well. But I'm going to transition it now onto Jeremy. Take it away. Okay. Thank you, Victoria. Um, We'll do a mic check. Can everybody give me a thumbs up if you can hear me? I'm a um, soft-spoken pers soft person by nature, so um, if my volume knob starts to slip down, just signal me somehow and drop in the chat. Um, so yeah, I want to talk a little bit about scarcity and abundance, which has been uh, referenced, which Victoria was talking about, um, uh, specifically in the, in the characteristic of power hoarding. Um, scarcity mindset is what makes power hoarding and paternalism uh, possible. Um, it's what enables that to happen. Um, it's this, you know, this narrative or this myth where uh, the competition is like the order of the world, that there's not enough to go around. It's a dog eat dog world. Um, and to like get what you need, you're gonna have to fight someone for it. Um, I think of like the most, one of the, a visceral example in our world is uh, Black Friday sales. Um, just think of people actually physically arming each other to get a good deal, quote unquote deal. Um, and so I want to make a, a clarification note on when we talk about um, scarcity as a myth or as this narrative made up. Um, when I say that, I'm not saying I'm not saying that um, when someone is poor or otherwise lacking, 
um, and their essential needs that it's imaginary or just in their heads or if they would just get their own shit together then um, they would have enough not saying that at all so those are very real lacks that um lacks lacks a verb a plural i don't think so um is so those that scarcity that where that we don't have enough of what we need to, to survive or thrive um is actually caused by like at the root um by the scarcity mindset um when and it enables people to hoard power and hoard resources um so just want to make that clarification um and so yeah the scarcity mindset is what makes you susceptible to have someone having power over you or for someone to be susceptible for you having power over um and it's something that uh, has been conditioned into every one of our brains and our bodies from you know from birth like this is something that is not just something you learn um in school it is something you learn in school it's something you learn in every aspect of our life so and it's in everybody in one way or another and that's why it's so difficult to overcome to relearn uh retrain ourselves into a new way of thinking specifically in abundance which we'll get to um and kind of the two major results of the scarcity mindset which um yeah so the two major results of the scarcity mindset in our lives and in our society and culture is that it divides us so division and um dependence it makes us dependent on certain systems so division as victoria said earlier um it seeks uh scarcity mindset seeks to divide individualize and make like these damaging practices the norm keeps us apart um it keeps us from being able to have strong community bonds with our neighbors and our coworkers and our family um it keeps us from tries to prevent us from unionizing um, for instance and having that collective power um which is like distributed amongst us all um and once we're divided like that uh where i can't go to my neighbor for instance when i need um whatever it is food or um companionship meaning whatever it may be that we share between us then i have to go to someone who is trying to sell those things to me i have to go to the store um to go to a supermarket some large you know box store instead of um having you know everything that all the food that we can grow here or uh, make between us just as some examples um so we're reliant we become reliant on those uh systems that are supremacist and profit central profit centric um instead of having um yeah what we need to share between us and so what's the what is the um the remedy to this or the um yeah what's the remedy to this um is abundance and a, a mindset of abundance um and i believe it the the nature of abundance is actually in our own authentic nature like we've been conditioned to think that scarcity is the name of the game but it's abundance um in reality um, that is who we are and within us amongst all of us 
Um, so in order to kind of sink into this idea, which um, may seem uh, paradoxical or like just hard to really accept, um, I wanted to have a little story time. And I'm going to have a couple stories. Um, the first is longer than the second. But um, so the first is a story called often, most often called Stone Soup, which many of you probably are familiar with in one way or another. Um, and um, I'm going to read this book, this picture book. And I want to uh, thank and acknowledge uh, Sergio Moreno, um, who first kind of introduced this idea to the open table in uh, April when he presented on the sacred earth. Um, I think it's a great way for us to um, explore kind of the essential truths that we obviously did not get the first time when we were kids. So we kind of have to keep going back to that. Um, also want a couple, couple other notes. Um, I love how stone soup is a European folktale. Um, it's found in lots of different countries around Europe in different forms. Um, some places called uh, nail soup, for instance. Um, but I, I wanted to just note that because um, those of us who are white, meaning that our, our heritage is almost exclusively from Europe, um, at least most recently, um, then we can, we can draw wisdom from our ancestors um, that is deeper than white supremacy culture that is deeper than um, any kind of supremacy um, that has been, um, has been ingrained in us in America. Um, so I just want I, yeah, just wanted to note that. And also as a, another example of abundance to note that this is a, a library book that I checked out recently and like public libraries are um, one of my favorite things and a great example of practicing abundance in our community for something to reflect on. So if you want to just get comfortable, um, I will read this and I will try to show you the pictures as best I can too. Um, and this, <laughs> this book is, is retold and illustrated by John J. Muth and actually takes place in China, although it, the stone soup originated in Europe. Um, I love, I just loved this version of it. And uh, so, and I love the multiculturalism as, as, of that as well. So stone soup. Three monks, Hok, Lok, and Sao, traveled along a mountain road. They talked about cat whiskers, the color of the sun, and giving. What makes one happy, Sao? asked Hok, the youngest monk. Old Sao, who was the widest, wisest, said, Let's find out. The sound of a bell brought their gaze to the rooftops of a village below. They could not see from so high above that the village had been through many hard times. Famine, floods, and war had made the villagers wary and untrusting of strangers. They had even become suspicious of their neighbors. The villagers worked hard, but only for themselves. There was a farmer, a tea merchant, a scholar, 
a seamstress, a doctor, a carpenter, and many others, but they had little to do with one another. When the monks reached the foot of the mountain, the villagers disappeared into their houses. No one came to the gates to greet them. And when the people saw them enter the village, they closed their windows tight. The monks knocked on the door of the first house. There was no answer. Then the house went dark. They knocked on a second door and the same thing happened. It happened again and again from one house to the next. Clear. These people do not know happiness, they all agreed. But today, said Sal, his face bright as the moon, we will show them how to make stone soup. They gathered twigs and branches and made a fire. They placed a small tin pot on top and filled it with water from the village well. A brave little girl who had been watching came to them. What are you doing? She asked. We are gathering twigs, said Locke. We are making a fire, said Hawk. We are gathering, we are making stone soup and we need three round smooth stones, said Sal. The little girl helped the monks look around the courtyard until they found just the right ones. Then they put, in, put them in the water to cook. These stones will make excellent soup, said Sal, but this very small pot won't make much, I'm afraid. My mother has a bigger pot, said the girl. The little girl ran home. As she started to take a pot, her mother asked, what she was doing. The three strangers are making soup from stone, she said. They need our biggest pot. Hmm, said the girl's mother. Stones are easy to come by. I'd like to learn how to do that. The monks po poked the coals. As smoke drifted up, the neighbors peered out from their windows. The fire and the large pot in the middle of the village was a true curiosity. One by one, the people of the village came out to see just what this stone soup was. Of course, old style stone soup should be well seasoned with salt and pepper, said Hawk. That is true, said Locke, as he stirred the giant pot filled with water and stones. But we have none. I have some salt and pepper, said the scholar, his eyes big with curiosity. He disappeared and came back with salt and pepper and even a few other spices. Sal took a taste. The last time we had soup stones of this size and color, carrots made the broth very sweet. Carrots, said a woman from the back. I may have a few carrots, but just a few. And off she ran. She returned with as many carrots as she could carry and dropped them into the pot. Do you think it would be better with onions, said Hawk. Oh yes, maybe an onion would taste good, said a farmer, and he hurried off. He returned in a moment with five big onions and he dropped them into the bubbling soup. Now that's a fine soup, he said. The villagers all nodded their heads as the smell was very agreeable. But if only we had some mushrooms, said Sal, rubbing his chin. Several villagers licked their lips 
A few dashed away and returned with fresh mushrooms, noodles, pea pods, and cabbages. Something magical began to happen among the villagers. As each person opened their heart to give, the next person gave even more. And as this happened, the soup grew richer and smelled more delicious. I imagine the emperor would suggest we add dumplings, said one villager. And bean curd, said another. What about cloud ear and mung beans and yams, cried some others. And tar root and winter melon, baby corn, cried other villagers. Garlic, ginger root, soy sauce, lily buds. I have some, I have some, people cried out. And they off they ran, returning with all they could carry. The monks stirred and the pot bubbled. How good it smelled, how good it would taste, how giving the villagers had become. At last the soup was ready and the villagers gathered together. They brought rice and steamed buns. They brought lychee, nut, lychee nuts and sweet cakes. They brought tea to drink and they lit lanterns. Everyone sat down to eat. They had not been together for a feast like this for as long as anyone could remember. After the banquet, they told stories, sang songs, and celebrated long into the night. Then they unlocked their doors, took the monks into their homes, and gave them very comfortable places to sleep. In the gentle spring morning, everyone gathered together near the willows to say farewell. Thank you for having us as your guests, said the monks. You have been most generous. Thank you, said the villagers. With the gifts you have given, we will always have plenty. You have shown us that sharing makes us all richer. And to think, said the monks, to be happy is as simple as making stone soup. The end of stone soup. Now as um, I read the second story, um, maybe be reflecting a little bit on what resonated with you, what stood out um, in Stone Soup and in this next story, um, especially in terms of, of scarcity and abundance. Where did you see uh, scarcity? Where did you see abundance? What did you feel along the way? Uh, so this next story is much shorter, um, but it is um, it takes place in the Middle East, um, and it focuses around a um, young man named Yeshua. See, I, um, I get to call Jesus a young man because I'm older than he was in the story. But this is a um, reading from the book of Luke. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions. For we are in a deserted place here. He said to them, give them some food yourselves. They replied, five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go out and buy food for all these people. Now the men there numbered about 5,000. 
Then he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. They did so and made them all sit down. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled 12 wicker baskets. So, um, yes, we are running um, behind schedule, running late, but if you're able to stay with us um, for a while longer, I'd love if you could drop in the chat um, or in the comments on Facebook, just a few words of what, um, what stood out to you um, and what resonated with you? Where did you see a scarcity? Where did you see abundance? And yeah, if, if you're not able to, to use the chat very well or very easily, then unmute yourself and, and say a couple words, that's fine. Um, while you're doing that, I wanted to make a quick intersectionality note um, that it said there were 5,000 men there. Um, while it's from what I understand, what I've heard is that there were likely just as many, at least women and probably children there as well. So um, that is uh, important to note because, you know, this is how it was written in scripture, but we can see that patriarchy and male body supremacy also um, is ever present and also hoards power. Uh, so uh, yeah, so great comments coming in here. They made abundance out of scarcity by sharing. Yeah, I wonder who made the bread. <laughs> uh, exactly, Wendy. Appealing to folks' ego to get them to cooperate and work together from Stone Soup. Everyone offers what they have, gift of community. Yes, great, thank you. You can keep them coming in. Um, that, so someone said, where was it? Everyone offers what they have and the gift of community. Um, I noticed most of all how in both stories, it was only once sharing started that abundance was manifest, that was shown. Um, even though abundance has, was there all along, you know, um, it was only when the physical act of sharing, of sharing food, of sharing, you know, what you had, um, and then also sharing power, and then sharing space and um, time and fellowship with each other. Um, and also, as Victoria mentioned earlier, um, when there's this mutual reciprocity of, of sharing, um, you end up with more. Uh, that's kind of one of the biggest lessons I think we can take from from the miracle that Jesus, um, uh, the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Um, it's that it's not just like, um, it's not only a pooling of resources. Um, it's actually, it is the sharing itself that actually creates more, you know, like in stone soup. Um, well, yes, everybody was fed, but what happened then? They had a huge banquet. They had a party. They told stories and art was created and shared. And, um, they healed the broken bonds of their, of their village. And that wouldn't have happened without the monks teaching them, reminding them um, that there is so much and that they, um, 
so much abundance um, in their community, in their companionship, um, in healing, purpose, and joy. Um, so on that note, I want to hand it back to Victoria as we continue to speak more on that joy and abundance and abundance of joy. Thanks for sharing that, Jeremy. I love, love, love that story. And um, just the idea that like abundance is not the sharing of just material goods, right? But it's so much bigger than that. It reaps so much more than just that. Um, which is why joy as a virtue and joy as an act of resistance is really important to our work. Um, and hang tight with me. We have a video we're about to share to close this off. But um, especially like at a political time like right now, I think joy is absolutely essential and is a form of using our power that comes from within us, right? Like it cannot be given to us and it's not taken away. It's something that comes from here that we have and that we share with the world. It's a virtue. It's a psychological habit that involves knowing, feeling, and enacting on what matters most to us, right? So if abundance, community, sharing power, all of those things matter to us as people of faith, as people who are deeply engaged in uh, changing our democracy and changing our systems here in our country, then like we have to embody joy and other virtues along with that practice, right? Like joy, strength, peace, like all of that matters in the process of learning how to share power with um, our community and at large. So I wanted to share this quote from Cleo Wade because I think it seems like a very weird concept, right? In a time where we are also in despair, where we're deeply grieving, we're enraged and we're angry about all of the things that are happening in the news um, of racial violence, of um, the pandemic and how it continues to affect black and brown communities the most, um, of the of our of our president and the actions that he continues to display, right, on, on TV, even after he's gotten COVID. Like, there's just so much, there's so much. And it's, and I think it's essential, like, it's weird to think like, okay, in a time like right now where I'm also in despair, I'm also grieving, I'm also angry, I need to also practice these other virtues that continue to give me fuel for the fight that's ahead of us. So this quote from Cleo Wade and her book, Heart Talk, I found to be really profound. Um, I wanted to share it with you real quick. So she says, Cleo Wade says, Oftentimes, when the world feels chaotic, we begin to feel as if it is somehow inappropriate to have joy. Have your joy. Joy is a form of radical self-care. Joy energizes us to take on even the most difficult circumstances. When we have joy, especially in the midst of challenging times, we are saying to the world, I will define the current state of the world around me instead of allowing it to define me. Today, regardless of what is happening, empower yourself by embracing your joy. So as we continue the work of sharing our power and resisting with joy in the work of justice that we're, uh, that we're fighting for, I invite you to also engage in actions that express collective power, which matters a great deal too. So I'm, going to sound like a broken record because you've heard everyone talk about voting on November 3rd or early voting, but we are 23 days away from a presidential election that has many of us holding our breath, right? Feeling anxious, fearful, rage, all of the things I've mentioned before. 
but I encourage you right now, especially to not sink into despair. Voting is one tool in which we can utilize our shared power. It's both an individual and a communal effort that can change our democracy come November. There's a lot of healing to be done. We know this. So get active now, right? Have conversations with friends and family, coordinate taking folks to the polls, host curbside notary services in your neighborhoods. I know some local businesses have been doing that. I've loved seeing that. Uh, get creative and get the vote out. This is essential, this is important. So in closing, I wanted to share a video that spoke to me in expressing the different virtues, right? Uh, peace, joy, strength, love, that we have the power within to transform ourselves and therefore those around us. And this song comes from a, from a group called Resistance Revival Chorus. And they're a collective of more than 60 women and non-binary singers who join together to breathe joy and song into the resistance. This is from their website. And to uplift and center women's voices. So um, someone will share a link to their website in the page. But in closing, their mission is inspired by the American poet Toy Derricotte's quote, which is, joy is an act of resistance. So as we close this evening, I ask you to engage in this video, get up and dance, dance where you're seated, snap your fingers, do whatever it is you need to do in this moment to um, really soak in the words and the beautiful singing that's ahead of us here. Awesome, thank you, Nick, for sharing. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Oh. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Don't you know that? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Oh, I said the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. Oh, this strength that I have, this strength that I have. Sing about peace. 
Resistance Revival Chorus believes in the words written by the poet Toy Derricotte when she wrote, Joy is an act of resistance. We believe in the words of Mr. Harry Belafonte, who said, When the movement is strong, the music is strong. We sing to revive the hearts of those who fight for social justice, and we sing together for freedom. I'm on mute, but with that, I will pass it back on to the open table staff. I hope that you feel encouraged going into the next 23 days, that you feel um, empowered knowing that those virtues you already have within and have access to at any point in time. And quite frankly, we need them right now in a moment like now in our society, in our American um, democracy. So thank you so much. Passing it on to Nick and Wendy and Maddie and Leticia.